Ivan's first subsequent application for writ of habeas corpus was filed on April 18th. And then one day later, Ivan's death warrant was withdrawn by the Collin County judge, having concluded that additional proceedings are necessary based on this filing. So what did the judge see in the filing that needed additional proceedings? Let's find out. The application was lengthy, 154 pages. It includes the newly discovered evidence uncovered over the course of this investigation. But interestingly, it only argued two claims as to why Ivan is entitled to a new trial. Now the court reviewing these two claims is a criminal court of appeals. And that court is not reviewing these claims on the merits, meaning ruling on the facts presented in evidence and the law applied to that evidence. The criminal court of appeals is only ruling on the procedural grounds. And to reach that threshold, Mr. Cantu need only show that, one, the factual and legal basis for his current claims were unavailable at the time he filed his previous application, and two, the specific facts alleged, if established, would constitute a constitutional violation that would likely require relief from either the conviction or sentence. So basically, the Criminal Court of Appeals is ruling on the timeliness of these claims. Is the claim based on new evidence or new law that came about after Ivan's original habeas filing in 2004? And if so, does this new evidence or law create a major violation that would likely overturn the conviction or lessen the sentence? If the Criminal Court of Appeals agrees that one or both of these claims meet that two-pronged threshold, then the claims go back to the trial court. They go back to Collin County for review on the merits. So then the ball would be back in Collin County's court to decide if these claims entitle Ivan to a new trial or warrant other legal actions. Now for the two claims. Claim 1. The testimony of the state's star witnesses, Amy Betcher and Jeff Betcher, was materially false in violation of Ex parte Chabot and the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. Ex parte Chabot has to do with a 1986 case out of Garland, Texas. A man named Clay Chabot was wrongfully convicted based on fraudulent testimony. Chabot's conviction was vacated in 2008 after new DNA test results proved that his brother-in-law had actually committed the crime, and it was that brother-in-law that gave the fraudulent testimony against him. Mr. Cantu is entitled to a new trial because his conviction was based on false and misleading testimony Amy Betcher testified falsely in numerous ways that assisted the prosecution. She testified that Mr. Cantu stole, wore, and then discarded Mr. Mosqueda's Rolex watch. This helped the state account for evidence that was reported missing but was never recovered. The fact that the watch was never even stolen demonstrates that Ms. Betcher was willing to testify to facts the state wished to elicit without regard to the truth. Similarly, witnesses have come forward who saw Amy with her engagement ring before the murders. By her own admission, the police told her it was Miss Kitchen's ring and not the other way around. Miss Betcher also testified that clothes stained with victim's blood belonged to Mr. Cantu. Only Miss Betcher's testimony tied Mr. Cantu to jeans that were two sizes too large for Mr. Cantu. 
One of the Dallas police officers who searched Mr. Cantu's apartment for signs of foul play long after Ms. Betcher and Mr. Cantu left for Arkansas has sworn that the clothes were not there. Thus, Ms. Betcher's testimony was false. Additionally, several days after the clothes were found in the trash can with a latex glove, Ms. Betcher gave a series of statements in which she averred that Mr. Cantu was wearing latex gloves when he came home in the bloody clothes. In her statements, Ms. Betcher said that Mr. Cantu put the glove in the trash with the clothes. However, after spending five hours with the prosecutors on Sunday, October 7, 2000, going over her statements and preparing for her October 9th testimony, Ms. Betcher subsequently testified that she had not seen any gloves that night and did not know who put the glove in the trash. Whether Ms. Betcher lied in her statements, testimony, or most likely both, she indisputably changed her testimony after going over her statements with the prosecutors. The state, however, falsely argued to the jury that Ms. Betcher gave four statements and her testimony was consistent with all of them because she's telling the truth. Finally, Ms. Betcher's testimony about the timing of the murders is contradicted by scientific evidence based on the two declarations signed by Dr. Banerjee and Dr. Melanick. Establishing that the victims were alive for at least six more hours after Ms. Betcher said that Mr. Cantu came home with blood on his jeans and in his hair. Notably, people who saw Ms. Betcher after she had allegedly been to the crime scene reported that she was happy and failed to notice anything strange about her demeanor, even though she testified that she only remained with Mr. Cantu out of fear. The scientific evidence and Ms. Betcher's happy demeanor undermine her testimony that Mr. Cantu went to Mr. Mosqueda's house at 11.30 p.m. to commit murder and that she saw the crime scene shortly after. In addition to multiple instances of false testimony, the totality of Ms. Betcher's false statements demonstrate that she was willing to conform her testimony to the state's theory of the case without regard for the truth. The prosecution's jury argument that Ms. Betcher's four statements and trial testimony were all consistent also created a false impression about Ms. Betcher's credibility. Other than his sister, Amy, Jeff Betcher was the most consequential state's witness. Mr. Betcher's testimony about alleged conversations he had with Mr. Cantu provided the state with motive, robbing the victims of money and drugs, planning, testimony linking Mr. Cantu to the murder weapon, and the type of ammunition used. Indeed, Jeff and Amy were the only witnesses who said that Mr. Cantu owned a gun. Mr. Betcher, who, like Amy, was a daily drug user at the time, testified that he would do anything for his sister, including protect her and help her out, because they were in it together. New evidence from the Collin County District Attorney's Office confirms that this includes testifying falsely for the state. In early 2022, Jeff Betcher contacted the Collin County District Attorney's Office seeking to recant his trial testimony. Representatives from the DA's office traveled to Minnesota to interview Mr. Betcher. Despite intense questioning during which the state sought to minimize the role Mr. Betcher's testimony might have played in securing Mr. Cantu's conviction, Mr. Betcher disavowed his trial testimony, stating, I lied. 
Mr. Betcher told the Collin County DA's staff that the damning pre-crime conversation with Ivan to which he testified never happened. And he didn't say that to me, that he wanted me to be the cleanup man. No, he didn't say that to me. Mr. Betcher knew his testimony was false at the time of trial and is now recanting his story. In addition, Jeff Betcher's testimony that he allegedly saw Mr. Cantu regularly carrying a gun that resembled the murder weapon is likewise false, according to Mr. Cantu's roommate at the time, Bobbitt, who never saw Mr. Cantu with a gun and did not believe he owned one. Jeff Betcher's trial testimony falls squarely into the category of false testimony. The false testimony was material. The false testimony which both provided false information to the jury and shielded the state's star witness from being utterly discredited more likely than not, contributed to Mr. Cantu's conviction. False or misleading testimony is deemed material if there is a reasonable likelihood that it affected the judgment of the jury. Because Amy Betcher's credibility was critical to the state's case, the defense labored to impeach her by impugning her character and highlighting the state's leverage over her. The defense elicited testimony that Ms. Betcher was ingesting cocaine, speed, ecstasy almost every day and thus violated her probation on a daily basis. And yet there is no doubt that Amy Betcher's testimony was critical to the state's case. When affirming Mr. Cantu's case on direct appeal, this court was willing to assume, without deciding, that much of the physical evidence in this case was illegally obtained but held that violation to be harmless because Amy Betcher's testimony about the offense wholly incriminated appellant in the murders and robbery, and her version was corroborated by other evidence. This court aptly characterized Ms. Betcher's testimony. As described, Ms. Betcher told the jury that Mr. Cantu announced his intentions before the crime, committed the murder, and robbed the victims. She connected Mr. Cantu to the gun the blood-stained clothes, and items allegedly stolen during the crime that were never recovered. After repeatedly invoking her testimony throughout closing argument, the state told the jury that Ms. Betcher was a truth-teller based on the false assertion that her testimony and four statements were all consistent. The jury knew that despite admitting to dozens of probation violations, she suffered no consequences. Had her testimony been truthful, she would have been guilty of assisting Mr. Cantu and tampering with evidence. But despite confessing to a variety of actions that should have generated criminal charges, or at minimum revocation of her probation, Ms. Betcher walked away free. She had an incentive to lie for the state, and now it is clear she did. There is a reasonable likelihood that Ms. Betcher's false testimony affected the judgment of the jury. Jeff Betcher's testimony was also critical to the state's case, as demonstrated by their emphasis on it in their closing arguments. With the support of Jeff's testimony, the state argued that Mr. Cantu had the murder weapon in his possession before the murders took place. The state also relied on Jeff Betcher's testimony exclusively to establish that Mr. Cantu planned to commit murders weeks in advance. Jeff was the only person to testify that Mr. Cantu planned the crime in advance. The state invoked his testimony to argue that the purpose was to commit robbery, one of the theories of capital murder. 
Moreover, the clear implication of Jeff's testimony was that, after the murders had occurred, Mr. Cantu confessed to being the perpetrator. There is a reasonable likelihood that the false testimony of either Betcher's sibling alone affected the judgment of the jury. But this court should consider the totality of the Betcher sibling's false testimony. The question before the court is not whether there will be sufficient evidence to convict Mr. Cantu without Jeff's testimony and after Amy's credibility is discounted for her demonstrable falsehoods. The question is whether there is a reasonable likelihood that the false testimony by both Jeff and Amy Betcher affected the outcome. Mr. Cantu submits that the answer is unquestionably yes, and thus his conviction must be reversed. This next section speaks to the timeliness. Mr. Cantu is entitled to a merits review of this claim because Ex parte Shabo was not previously available to him in 2004 when he filed his initial application for habeas corpus relief. Consequently, Mr. Cantu's false testimony claim was legally unavailable on the date he filed his previous application, and this court should authorize Mr. Cantu's application and remand his case to the trial court. Alternatively, Mr. Cantu is entitled to a merits review of this claim because the factual basis was not previously available to him in 2004 when he filed his initial application for habeas corpus relief. First, Jeff Betcher announced his desire to recant his testimony to the Collin County District Attorney's Office in February of 2022, which is when he informed them that he lied at trial and recanted his testimony. Mr. Cantu first learned of these developments through an April 5, 2022 letter from the Collin County DA's office to undersigned counsel. Thus, Mr. Betcher's recantation was not factually available to Mr. Cantu in 2004 when he filed his initial application for habeas corpus relief. Similarly, it was not until 2019 that Mr. Cantu learned that the police returned James Mosqueda's Rolex watch to his family after it had been located in Mr. Mosqueda's house by Amy Kitchen's brother and turned into the police. Thus, until the watch emerged, Mr. Cantu lacked the physical evidence to demonstrate that Amy Betcher's testimony that Mr. Cantu stole, wore, and then discarded the watch was false. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Which brings us to... Claim 2. The state suppressed evidence impeaching its star witness, Amy Betcher, in violation of Brady v. Maryland and the Due Process Clause. Brady held that the suppression by the prosecution of evidence favorable to an accused upon request violates due process where the evidence is material either to guilt or to punishment, irrespective of the good faith or bad faith of the prosecution. The police suppressed favorable evidence that impeached Amy Betcher. As described in detail, the police initially believed that Mr. Mosqueda's distinctive Rolex watch had been stolen during the murder. Subsequently, Amy Betcher swore in her statements to police 
and testified at trial that Mr. Cantu had stolen, wore, and eventually discarded Mr. Mosqueda's Rolex. The police, however, were mistaken. The watch was never stolen. Mr. Mosqueda's watch was located in his home by one of Amy Kitchen's relatives, who turned it in to the police, who returned the watch to Mr. Mosqueda's family. As the above pictures and Abner Cantu confirm, this was Mr. Mosqueda's watch. Thus, the police, an arm of the state for Brady purposes, possessed the alleged stolen watch and then disposed of the evidence. Yet this fact was never disclosed to the defense. The evidence was thus suppressed by the state. The watch is indisputably favorable evidence because it demonstrates that Amy Betcher's testimony that Mr. Cantu stole, wore, and then discarded the watch was a complete fabrication. But it was not a random fabrication. Ms. Betcher lied under oath to substantiate law enforcement's erroneous belief about the crime. This evidence is favorable to Mr. Cantu because it impeaches the credibility of a witness who had a good reason to lie on behalf of the state. She was guilty of numerous probation violations, as well as, at minimum, tampering with the evidence in a capital murder case. Ms. Betcher was undeniably the cornerstone of the prosecution's case. Armed with the fact Ms. Betcher had fabricated testimony to substantiate the state's mistaken assumptions about the crime, competent defense counsel could have eviscerated her credibility. As defense counsel noted during cross-examination, Ms. Betcher had an urgent motive to lie for the state. Her freedom hung in the balance. The state got whatever it needed from Ms. Betcher. In the light of the collective suppressions and false testimony at trial, including Jeff Betcher's recent admission that he too lied to the jury, this court must find that Mr. Cantu was denied due process. Mr. Cantu is entitled to a merits review of this claim because the factual basis was not previously available to him in 2004 when he filed his initial application for habeas corpus relief. There you have it, the two claims argued in Ivan's subsequent application for writ of habeas corpus. First, the Chabot violation, basically that Jeff and Amy Betcher presented fraudulent testimony and that there's a reasonable likelihood that it affected the judgment of the jury. And second, the Brady violation, that Dallas PD withheld exculpatory evidence, namely the Rolex. So what happens now? What are the possible outcomes? Well, if both of these claims are not authorized, remember the Criminal Court of Appeals is not ruling on the merit of these claims, just if these claims are based on facts or law that were unavailable at the time of Ivan's original habeas filing. So if the CCA does not agree about the timeliness of this new information, they will consider these claims procedurally barred, and they will not authorize these claims for further review. Basically, they're dead in the water. And as soon as the CCA rules these claims are procedurally barred, Collin County could issue another death warrant. And Ivan would have another execution date scheduled without additional and powerful evidence of actual innocence coming to light. The situation would again be dire for Ivan. On the other hand, 
If the CCA agrees that one or both of these claims are timely, the claims will be authorized for review on the merits. Through depositions and or evidentiary hearings, Collin County will determine if these claims constitute reversible error, and Ivan should be granted a new trial. And if it gets to that point, the question would become, could Collin County retry this case? With Amy Betcher dead, and both her and her brother being discredited. It's a very real possibility. If the Criminal Court of Appeals gives these claims action, Ivan could be a free man. That's the magnitude of this upcoming decision. Freedom or death. As of May 5th, 2023, the release date of this episode, the Criminal Court of Appeals have had this application for review for just over two weeks. With Ivan's execution date off the table, there's no way to know when the CCA will make their decision on authorization. It could be weeks, it could be months. Do you think you'll get a new trial? Once we put everything together and, and file my successive writ, I, I truly believe that um, I'll have a, a new trial. But you have to uh, you have to meet the requirements to show that the information that you're presented to get relief, that it was, you know, withheld, new, and that it would have uh, changed the outcome of the trial. And with the evidence that we've got, we can meet all three of those. Will the Criminal Court of Appeals authorize Collin County to review these claims on the merit? Will Ivan be on the path towards freedom or another execution date? Next time on Cousins by Blood. (laughs) 